Chapter One of Book Five of Les Miserables, Volume Five by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Les Miserables, Volume Five by Victor Hugo, translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book Five, Grandson and Grandfather, Chapter One, in which the tree with the zinc plaster appears again. Some time after the events which we have just recorded, Sieur Boulatrel experienced a lively emotion. Sieur Boulatrel was that road mender of Montfermeil, whom the reader has already seen in the gloomy parts of this book. Boulatrel, as the reader may perchance recall, was a man who was occupied with divers and troublesome matters. He broke stones and damaged travelers on the highway. Roadmender and thief as he was, he cherished one dream. He believed in the treasures buried in the forest of Montfermeil. He hoped some day to find the money in the earth at the foot of the tree. In the meanwhile, he lived to search the pockets of passerbys. Nevertheless, for an instant, he was prudent. He had just escaped neatly. He had been, as the reader is aware, picked up in Jondrette's garret in the company with the other ruffians. Utility of a vice, his drunkenness had been his salvation. The authorities had never been able to make out whether he had been there in the quality of a robber or a man who had been robbed. An order of nol prosequi, founded on his well-authenticated state of intoxication on the evening of the ambush, had set him at liberty. He had taken to his heels. He had returned to his road from Gagne to Lagne, to make, under administrative supervision, broken stone for the good of the state, with downcast mien in a pensive mood, his ardor for thief somewhat cooled, but he was addicted none the less tenderly to the wine which had recently saved him. As for the lively emotion which he had experienced a short time after his return to his road-mender's turf-thatched cot, here it is. One morning, Boulatrel, on his way as his wont to his work, and possibly also to his ambush, a little before daybreak caught sight, through the branches of the trees, of a man, whose back alone he saw, but the shape of his shoulders, as it seemed to him at that distance, and in the early dusk, was not entirely unfamiliar to him. Boulatrel, although intoxicated, had a correct and lucid memory, a defensive arm that is indispensable to anyone who is at all in conflict with legal order. Where the deuce have I seen someone like that man yonder? He said to himself. But he could make himself no answer, except that the man resembled someone of whom his memory preserved a confused trace. However, apart from the identity which he could not manage to catch, Boulatrel put things together and made calculations. This man did not belong in the countryside. He had just arrived there, on foot, evidently. No public conveyance passes through Montfermeil at that hour. He had walked all night. Whence came he? Not from a very great distance, for he had neither haversack nor bundle. From Paris, no doubt. Why was he in these woods? Why was he here at such an hour? What had he come there for? Boulatrel thought of the treasure. By dint of ransacking his memory, he recalled a vague way that he had already, many years before, had a similar alarm in connection with a man who produced on him the effect that he might well be this very individual. By the deuce, said Boulatrel, I'll find him again. 
I'll discover the parish of that parishioner. This prowler of Maitrenet, Minette, has a reason, and I know it. People can't have secrets in my forest if I don't have a finger in the pie. He took his pickaxe, which was very sharply pointed. There now, he grumbled, is something that will search the earth and a man. And, as one knots one thread to another thread, he took up the line of a march at his best pace in the direction which the man must follow and set out across the thickets. When he had compassed a hundred strides, the day, which was already beginning to break, came to his assistance. Footprints stamped in the sand, weeds trodden down here and there, heather crushed, young branches in the brushwood bent, and in the act of straightening themselves up again with the graceful deliberation of the arms of a pretty woman who stretches herself up when she wakes, pointed him out a sort of track. He followed it, then lost it. Time was flying. He plunged deeper into the woods and came to a sort of eminence. An early huntsman who was passing in the distance along the path whistled the air of gullery, suggested to him the idea of climbing a tree. Old as he was, he was agile. There stood, close at hand, a beech tree of great size, worthy of Titerus and of Boulatrel. Boulatrel ascended the beech as high as he was able. The idea was a good one. On scrutinizing the solitary waste on the side where the forest is thoroughly entangled and wild, Boulatrel suddenly caught sight of his man. Hardly has he got his eye upon him when he lost sight of him. The man entered, or rather glided into, an open glade at a considerable distance, masked by large trees, but with which Boulatrel was perfectly familiar, on account of having noticed, near a large pile of porous stones, an ailing chestnut tree bandaged with a sheet of zinc nailed directly upon the bark. This glade was the one which was formerly called Blaru Botem, the heap of stones destined for no one knows what employment, which was visibly there thirty years ago, is doubtless still there. Nothing equals a heap of stones in longevity, unless it is a board fence. They are temporary expedients. What a reason for lasting! Boulatrau, with rapidity of joy, dropped rather than descending from the tree. The lair was on earth. The question now was to seize the beast. That famous treasure of his dreams was probably there. It is no small matter to reach that glade. By the beaten pass, which indulged in a thousand teasing zigzags, it required a good quarter of an hour. In a bee-line, through the underbrush, which is a peculiarly dense, very thorny, and very aggressive in that locality, a full half-hour was necessary. Bula Trau committed the error of not comprehending this. He believed in the straight line, a respectable optical illusion which ruins many a man. The thicket, bristling as it was, struck him as a best road. Let's take to the wolves, Ruda Rivoli, he said. Boulatrel, accustomed to taking crooked courses, was on this occasion guilty of the fault of going straight. He flung himself resolutely into the tangle of undergrowth. He had to deal with holly bushes, nettles, hawthorns, eglatines, thistles, and very irascible brandwells. He was much lacerated. At the bottom of the ravine he found water, which he was obligated to traverse. At last he reached the Babu Badam. After the lapse of forty minutes, sweating, soaked, breathless, scratched, and furious, there was no one in the glade. 
Boulatruelle reached the heap of stones. It was in its place. It had not been carried off. As for the man, he had vanished into the forest. He had made his escape. Where? In what direction? Into what thicket? Impossible to guess. And, heart-rending to say, there, behind the pile of stones, in front of the tree with the sheet of zinc, was freshly turned earth, a pickaxe, abandoned or forgotten, and a hole. The hole was empty. Thief! shrieked Boulatrelle, shaking his fist at the horizon. End of Book 5, Chapter 1